Hello, this is Dr. Doug Wyatt, and this is the podcast series, Considering Christianity as a Scientist. This is podcast number six, and we are continuing our consideration of the teachings of Jesus, and we are continuing with the Beatitudes. I hope you have listened to podcast number five and the preceding podcasts before that to help you understand where we are in our discussion. In podcast number five, we talked about the settings and the background of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of his seminal teaching opportunities that is recorded in the Bible. And we discussed the first four of his teachings there, commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. There are a total of nine that are considered to be Beatitudes. And we mentioned those, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we discussed the meanings of those and how fantastic Jesus' teachings were for the day and how the words and the thoughts that he presented are universal. They, they apply in almost any, they apply in any situation, not almost, but they apply in any situation, and they cross all time and all space. And we're going to continue discussing these teachings. One of the things that uh, we should think about, Jesus' teachings were considered unique for several reasons, but one reason is that those who heard him teach heard him as an authority on the topic. As a scientist, we always seek the a priori evidence for whatever it is that we are considering. And those who listened to Jesus at the time are recorded as saying that Jesus taught not as some of the other teachers. He didn't say, well, this is what I think and this is what uh, we should do because of this or or gave no caveats or qualifications. He spoke because he knew. He spoke because he was the author of these attitudes and behaviors and concepts. And people picked up on that. They understood that. So they came from near and far. Crowds of thousands followed him around to listen to his teaching. So we're going to continue today uh, in this podcast and pick up where we left before we are using the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, as our reference text as we discuss these things. So next, we discuss what the word blessed actually meant in our last podcast. Please go back and listen to that if you have not heard it. It's such a impressive word as to the all-encompassing concept of its meaning. But here we go. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, we think about that, okay, that's that's good, that's fine. It uh, makes perfect sense. What does merciful mean? In the context of what Jesus is teaching, merciful is another one of those powerful words. How hard is it to be merciful when we feel like we've been wronged? How hard is it to be merciful when we don't have the same belief system or the same attitude system as others? We're not given the choice to determine when we're merciful. He just said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wow, that is a powerful, powerful statement. Being pure in heart, be quite honest, I struggle with that often. I get angry. I get mad. I disagree with things. I'm perfectly human. But keeping my heart pure is a goal I personally have. And the pure in heart shall see God. Well, by definition, God is the highest concept that we can consider. The best, the purest the most righteous, the most holy. I, I don't know what words you want to use for that, but go back and listen to podcast number one, and I think you'll you'll see some of the concepts that we discussed there. But being pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, I think that's a goal. I mean, that is a difficult goal to be pure in heart, but the worthwhile desire to do that is just something we should strive for. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's an interesting concept in and of itself. And I don't think he's talking about, in this case, those guys who get Nobel Prizes in peace or things like that. I think he's talking about the day-to-day -day between our neighbors, between our friends, between the people we're doing business with, within our families, in our co-workers, people walking up and down the street, people getting on the subway and jostle us and bump us and we get angry. And we want to make peace between everybody. That's our goal. If we do it on the national or global level and win the Nobel Peace Prize, all the better. But what our true goal is, is to be called a son of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We discussed the meaning of the word righteous in our last podcast, and to be righteous, people don't always like it when you are. People believe that, oh, you're too good. You're trying to be more perfect than me, or you're trying to be more goody two-shoes than me. Being righteous is, is more than all of that. But when, when you are righteous, when you make it a habit to try to be righteous, to practice righteousness, people will not like it. And so he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Persecuted, we, we have this concept of it being, you know, put in jail, physically beaten, tortured, mentally abused, verbally abused, abused in the news, abused by po political figures. It's anything. It can be your neighbor saying, huh, look at him. Look at her. She's just being trying to be more righteous than we are. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This was something that was already beginning in Jesus's day. He had followers who believed every word. He had people who followed him trying to dispute him and look for opportunities to harm him, damage him, make him insignificant because he violated their current set of beliefs or their desires of behavior for the day. And so people who were followers and believers of Jesus, we see these things happen every day in the news. 
people are verbally abusive or physically abusive to other people because of what they believe or what they do. Jesus is saying the same thing. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Well, that sums up what is typically called the Beatitudes. Just those nine Beatitudes is a pretty good philosophy for life. And then Jesus went on. And remember in, in our last podcast when he was, in, in my opinion, in my view, uh, thinking about the situation and trying to understand the circumstances of, of this Sermon on the Mount, I believe Jesus was looking at the people around him and directing these blessings, these statements, to particular groups. He recognized some as being poor in spirit, but he recognized all as being poor in spirit. So he could direct his comments to someone as he, if he were speaking to them, and it would apply to everybody. Blessed are the meek, the same. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Applied to everybody. But I believe he was actually looking at certain groups of people when he said these. And that added, in, in my mind, a personal touch to his presentations, but an authoritative touch to everybody who was listening. So he goes on. And then, then I think he looks up and starts to address the entire crowd. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He had just said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Then he goes on to say, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And if you read the Old Testament, there was not a prophet in the Old Testament who was not harassed, beaten, yelled at, persecuted, starved, everything, because people did not want to hear what they had to say. Jesus is saying, we will experience some of that as well. And then I think he continues to address everybody as, as a whole when he goes on to say, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's due to my geological background. And we talked about this back in podcast number four and podcast number three when we talked about Jesus and Jesus' teaching and, and being a Christian. It is an incredible analogy salt flavors salt preserves salt in, in, in the example in a previous podcast salt can change the conductivity of water salt can do so many things so just a little bit of salt a teeny tiny amount of salt in any mixture in any combination and read this understand this as being as us being like a little dab of salt, a little pinch of salt in a large crowd of people can change that crowd of people. Just like salt can change the flavor, like salt can change the preservative effect, like salt can change the conductivity. Salt is a great analogy. This is an incredible analogy of how being a Christian can change those around us. Here is another analogy he goes on to say. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This, this is referred to often as the light analogy. We are light bulbs. We are candle lights. We are lanterns. We are strobe lights. We are uh, LED lights. We are every kind of light that you can consider. The purpose of light is not to hide it. Leaving your light on in a closet at home with the door closed accomplishes nothing. It does not help you see. It does not help anyone else see. Jesus is saying simply that. If we are going to be his followers and believe his teachings, we need to be a light. And everybody needs to see what we're doing. It's just that simple. So to be a follower of Jesus and accept his teachings, it's a public thing. You can't do it quietly and you can't do it away from everybody else. You cannot be that light if you are not shining or illuminating something. In the crowd that was listening to Jesus, there would have been Jewish religious leaders and teachers that would follow him around to listen, learn, and debate him. Uh, some were called names you may have heard before, Pharisees, Sadducees. There may have been Greek scholars. There would have been scribes. There would have been political leaders who were educated. There would have been military leaders who were educated. And so Jesus addresses a question that I believe everybody had in the crowd. I can sort of see in my mind that there were some rumblings, some stirrings in the crowd listening to him about, well, he's, he's not teaching what the prophets teach, or he mentioned the word prophets, or, you know, he brought the topic up, so maybe he's opening it up for us to question him because the Jews relied on the teachings of the prophets. And he quite simply, he goes on to say, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's a pretty condemning statement by Jesus. There would have been scribes and Pharisees following in the crowds listening to him for their own personal reasons, if not for political or religious reasons. And he is saying to follow the law. He's referring primarily to the Ten Commandments. There are many who will say he's referring to the entire book of Leviticus. He's referring to the entire book of Deuteronomy. Other books that elucidate the ancient Jewish law in, in all of its many thousands of requirements.
Jesus uses the word commandments. So I believe, as do many others, that he's referring to those commandments that we know as the Ten Commandments. And we all know that just living up to those Ten Commandments is as difficult as trying to live up to a thousand commandments. They are Ten Commandments themselves, as we spoke about in earlier podcasts, are amazing in their clarity, in their simplicity, and in their meaning. One of the things to think about in this particular section, too, is Jesus did not mind offending people at all. The scribes and the Pharisees would have been greatly offended if they disagreed with that statement that Jesus just made that says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's basically saying these guys aren't going to make it. And so he's encouraging them to do better and maybe listen to his teachings, but he's also telling them, you guys are in some trouble. He then goes on to elucidate a little bit about a couple of those commandments. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's some powerful stuff right there. The sin is not just hating or being angry enough to murder. The sin is being angry, period. Insulting people for your personal satisfaction. Calling people names in, in Jesus' day, to call someone a fool was the ultimate condemnation. That's the most harsh thing that you could call someone. He was pulling no punches. That commandment means more than just murdering. That commandment means, you know, you, sh you should not be angry. You should not hate. You should do none of these things that you feel personally. Remember what he said when he in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So this, this actually refers back to something he had previously said just a few minutes before this. Then, then he addresses a couple of other things. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This follows up on his previous statements about anger. If you're trying to do anything to please God, you can't do it while you are angry. Go find your brother. And this, this brother is in universal terms. It's not a family brother, although it could be. It's your fellow human. Go resolve your issues with them and then come back to God. Blessed are the pure in heart. This is a statement that says, clean your heart. 
Make your heart pure. Get these thoughts of anger, ill will, bitterness out of your heart so you can come and talk to God. And, and the reference about going with him to court, well, we let our anger control us. Our anger takes us to the next step, and then the next step after that, and then the next step after that. So he's using an analogy. You know, people at the time, they had a legal system. They could take people to court if they owed you something or if you felt wronged. That happens every day in the modern world. Resolve those issues. Clean your heart. Make your heart pure. And I know as I say this how hard that is to do. But if you don't, you will have to pay that last penny. And that that is a analogy. The analogy could be ultimate, not being, not seeing God, not being with Jesus, to something as, as simple as earthly prison or human prison. He then goes on to address another commandment. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body should go into hell. That is also very powerful. Adultery is another part, one of the commandments. It also deals with purity of your heart. It deals with mercy, just as, as the previous discussion did. It deals with everything that Jesus said in the Beatitudes. He laid out what the ideal is, and then he's giving examples of day-to-day -day things related to both the historic Jewish law and the, and the teachings of Jesus and the future teachings of Jesus. And this seems extreme. You know, if we think about something that we should not be thinking about, or if we think about doing a sin, or we think about something wrong, well, yes, we are all people, we're scientists, we're intellectual people who think, well, we can think wrong too. And that goes back to that purity of heart. So tough. So tough. Thank goodness for Jesus and he gives us, gives us ways to do that. Taking it to the next level, he said, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That was, that was from the old law. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Well, I suspect there were those in that crowd listening to Jesus who had experienced this, who had practiced this, and who were known to have done this. He's telling them what they did was wrong. He's telling us to do that is wrong. So he's telling us how those commandments that were very simply stated in the Old Testament were to be understood. It's not just the words themselves in the sentence that were given in the commandments. It's the implications. It's the meaning. 
it's the philosophy behind those commandments that we have to practice. That's what he means, that not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Continuing on, he says, and I suspect he's actually addressing certain groups of people in, in, in the crowds around him. Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more from this comes from evil. It was a practice in the day to swear oaths. I swear that I will do this for you. I swear that I will accomplish this. I swear that I will defeat the enemy. Well, that assumes you are in control. And what Jesus is saying is that really the only thing that we can control is what is inside our hearts, inside our minds, inside our spirits, inside our souls. Because heaven, it's the throne of God. We have no control over that. By the earth, it's his footstool. We have no control over that. Or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, David is who he's referring to, established by God, something else we could not control. And we, we can't take an oath by our head for we cannot make our hair white or black. And, and he's not talking about dyeing our hair or anything like that. He's talking about the process of it aging. We cannot control how we age or what our bodies do in its natural progression. I don't think he's saying, no, we can't have medical sciences. We can't have physiological sciences or anything like that. He's saying that our bodies are part of this creation. They do a certain thing and that certain thing will happen. And then finally, we'll, we'll stop here for this podcast, but he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is a concept of vengeance retribution. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Whew, that's a hard statement, isn't it? And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. It was common in the day for Roman soldiers and Roman citizens to command people in the provinces to go with them for a mile to carry their luggage, carry their belongings. Jesus is saying, and people didn't like that. I mean, that proved their subservience. People didn't like it at all. Jesus said, just do it and go two miles. And if somebody slaps you, I mean, it was common as a method of derision for a Roman or even a Jewish leader to slap those of lesser status if they thought they were being impudent or not behaving the way they were expected to behave. And Jesus is saying, well, they slap you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. This has a double meaning. At least I believe it has a double meaning. It also means that, you know, 
you are right in some things that you do. If they slap you for doing something you know to be right, stand there and let them slap you again because you're right. That's true for, for walking one mile or walking two miles. It goes back to being meek. Jesus talked about the beatitude of being meek. And remember we said meek is not small, weak, completely subservient. Meek is being respectful, peaceful, under control when you have power to do otherwise. I mentioned in the last podcast that I think he was talking to Rome. I think he was talking to some of the Jewish zealots when he said that. But he was talking to everybody because it applies across the crowds. Jesus' teachings are specific and universal. They are incredible. And so that's what I believe Jesus is saying here. He said, control yourself. Be meek. Thank you, and I hope you listen to our next podcast, and I hope if you have not, that you have listened to our previous podcasts. Thank you.